good evening from india and good morning good day good afternoon wherever you are from um we see that uh, there are people from all over the world from rome to bangalore cape town spain pune brussels singapore uh oman florida virginia brussels pretty much all over the world uh, quite a few from india and many from other parts of the world so today we have uh, david with us this is not the first time that uh, david has been with us on our colloquium um he has spoken before david is an expert on team coaching he has worked on supervision he has worked on systemic coaching various areas he's a professor at oxford brooks and he has written i'm sure now it has crossed 100 it used to be about 99 from what i remember about a couple of years ago um and today david is going to talk about a subject which is a little different from the normal it's about politics i don't want to uh, sort of give you away the clues at this point in time david will take you through uh so david over to you last few years i've i've found that one of the most interesting things to do with a bunch of coaches when when we're in a room together is to ask them about who they would want to would least want to uh, to coach as a client um and time and time again the the, the people that come on high on their list of clients to avoid are people who are politicians um that they would find it most difficult to 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 coach politicians but i then i asked them but aren't many of the people that you work with organizations very political uh, and they said well, well yes but it's not the same thing and it's 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 a very interesting dichotomy that we have that we um we tend to to see politicians and business people as if they were different um and yet there are that they have Uh, many similar pre- uh, pressures underneath them and i think what we're seeing across the world today is a wave of populism that is based upon fear and uncertainty and i'm going to come back to that in a, in, a, in, a, in a little while but what it means is that is the is the the idea of the political center is beginning to dissipate people are going towards the extremes we see this in the united states with uh with donald trump and and, and bernie sanders um and not wishing to on air anyway take a, a a stance in any way um uh, about these what 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 seems to have vanished is the moderate middle ground the 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 rational middle ground if you like and this seems to be a a, a factor that people are afraid confused and uh and and uncertain and uncertainty it seems to be the big issue here um that um when we don't know what's happening when we are when we have anxiety about the future we tend to want more positive um, answers we want we gravitate towards leaders who promise us a degree of certainty but of course it's never there so what we're doing at the moment is we're beginning the process for a new book and in this new book we're going to be looking at political the the politics um in organizations and the role of coaches in managing those politics now i wish i had at this stage a massive of, of real answers to give you what i've got mostly is a bunch of questions 
And uh, I'm going to share some of those with you and some of the thinking that we have so far and invite you to contribute your thoughts as well. So <clears throat> some of the things we're going to be looking at to start with are, are what is a political dilemma? Um, do the parental models of politicians differ from other people's, from business people's in particular? Is the small P politics in the top teams of corporations all that different from politics with a big P in government and opposition? Um, if the coach is the power behind the throne, well, if all power corrupts, do co coaches become corrupted by association? Um, what role can coaches play in helping politicians and business leaders be self-honest and make more ethical decisions? Uh, one of the things that we have uh, that we can explore later in our question and answer, if you like, is, is the whole role of the ethical <coughs> coach mentor that we uh, see appearing in organizations in Europe. Um, with the task with, with helping people in the organization to work through ethical dilemmas. Then what lessons and pitfalls are there for coaches in the concept of expediency? Um, and finally, what, um, we we, if we have time, we can talk a little bit about the challenges for supervisors working with coaches whose clients work in a political environment. Um, <clears throat> but I haven't actually dipped, I haven't got slides on that today, but it's something that if you feel it's an important issue to, to discuss, we can certainly bring in. So this is a very much an open conversation. So um, for some reason, I'm not being able to move the slides. Let's move on, see if that works. There we go. <clears throat> so getting some stakes in the ground. The story of coaching actually belongs in or begins in political leadership. The goddess Athena, the goddess of wisdom, um, started out, um, it was the, the original mentor um, in, uh, in, in the myth. Um, and she worked with uh, Telemachus, the son of, um, uh, of Odysseus and with Odysseus himself, helping them to reflect and learn from their experiences. Um, and this process of coaching, which is about helping you to understand yourself and your inner values and your strengths, your weaknesses, <clears throat> your fears, your aspirations, and helping you to understand the external world, the way that things actually work, the opportunities, the threats, and so forth. And, and what coaching and mentoring both do is to link those two things together. And <clears throat> so, <coughs> excuse me, the, the origins um, of the kind of dialogue, the learning dialogue that we see in both coaching and mentoring, um, start with Athene, the goddess of wisdom. Now, um, <clears throat> this is not the place to get into depth about different definitions of, of, of uh, mentoring. Suffice to say that, um, uh, that um, pure mentoring, um, as it's practiced particularly in Europe and, and in many other parts, parts of the world, uh, is not mixed up with sponsorship, but in, um, in, 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 in most of the world, but in the States, it has um, for some, some decades been entangled with the incompatible behavior of sponsorship. Um, so when I'm saying mentoring now, I'm meaning real, meaning real mentoring, which, is, which we describe as using your wisdom to help somebody else become wiser in turn. Machiavelli, the, uh, the print, when in his book, The Prince, um, it, it's, a, it's, an, it's a book that helps that provides insight into the thinking patterns that allow that, 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 that leaders um, need to operate. Now, we might actually find that some of that quite distasteful now, but what he was doing was, was, was trying to reflect how do you actually become more, um, use political thinking to, to maintain power, but also, you know, also to maintain virtue. And then, then along comes Fenelon, <clears throat> the, 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 the amazing uh, French cleric who, uh, was given the task of educating 
the Dauphin, the son of King Louis the Louis the Fourteenth, the Sun King, and um, basically what Fenelon did, he took this real brat, um, and he sat down with him just as Athena did, and had conversations with him about his behaviour and the experiences and the values that he was applying, and gradually turned this young man into a human being, a, 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 a person worthy of becoming a prince. So. These are the, this is the, hist the, the, the historical background to which mentoring and coaching both, both belong. Coaching much more recently, it's only emerged as, as a word in 1851, uh, but <clears throat> and mentoring for a much longer period. But what's happened as we've, as we've seen the, uh, the, the, the whole nature of, of politics is that coaching and mentoring have become mass movements. Um, they become instruments of social manipulation. Now, not, and that's not necessarily not a, um, a, a bad thing. So in uh, many countries, for example, <coughs> coaching and, men and mentoring have been used to support people leaving jail, um, to help them to go straight, to get their lives back together. Um, and with considerable, in the circumstances, considerable success. Um, we've also seen the coaching, mentoring, and particularly mentoring used to, to get people to, to integrate migrants into into countries into society um, one of my favorite programs it was is most admired programs is for women from um from african countries who have um who've contracted aids and who have professional qualifications in their own country which aren't recognized in canada um and having a, having somebody as a coach come mentor to help them understand their host country to integrate to feel valued is a really positive thing um, we've actually started to see some formal coaching and mentoring of politicians, but typical one-to-one -one coaching, for example. Um, but also one of my favorite, favorite examples is a uh, local authority where the councillors, that's uh, the elected officials um, <coughs> of one party, um, will mentor or coach the part, the, the, uh, the, their counterparts in other parties um, when they join, when, when the, after each election, when, they, when new people join. I think that's a, that's a wonderful piece of showing how politics really can work very well. So two ways we can define politics. One is the power to influence. The other is the art of expediency. Um, and I'd just like to stop at that point and see <clears throat> what do people think about the difference between those two definitions? Ram, have you got any comments coming in? Such. Um, somebody mentioned a book I love that's relevant here, The Politics of Hope by Donna Zachong, Zayong, I'm not quite sure. Yeah. yeah, sounds fun. I haven't seen that one. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, um, Meenakshi has a question. Could you clarify the art of expediency? Okay. <clears throat> Well, the art of expediency is making decisions um, around what is uh, uh, on criteria which may not be, uh, which are more about getting things done than, um, than, than, um, than what is right. So doing the thing, doing the most convenient thing for the, um, rather than the, the something that, it, that you would um, describe as, as morally correct. Now, morally correct, of course, um, is, depends, is entirely contextually um, 
uh, is entirely contextual because it depends on how the, on the moral values of a, of a particular society or organization. So um, expediency is what, what we do um, because it's, it's, it, get, it, gets thing, it sorts things out in the short term, but expediency doesn't, tend, doesn't look at the long-term impacts or the wider impacts of an issue that it, 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 it uh, touches. Okay. Um, there's a comment saying that one of them, power to influence and art of expediency, one is subtle and the other is overt. The power to influence definition is fine, but today uh, we have bought influence within courts rather than dialogic persuasion. The power to Interesting. Influence, yeah, the power to influence, uh, help the coaches influence himself or herself is one of the things many of us as coaches do, do we not? Um, these are some of the comments which are coming up. Brilliant. Well, we're going to, we'll dig into some of these and we'll have a lot, a lot more opportunity to, 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 to comment too. But of course, the, the, the assumption is the power to influence is always positive, but of course it's not. It can be the power to influence for ill um, um, as well as for good. Um, and expediency may in some cases be exactly the right thing to do, as in the case of, for example, triage, uh, where doctors have to make the expedient decision about which, about which patients to treat in a crisis. Um, so the, the, the nuances of this are quite are, are, are very subtle. So <clears throat> by and large, politics uh, with the, with the, in, in the, the, the sense of uh, national politics or local politics is driven mainly by expediency and short-term thinking. Uh, it's been described as a means for the organized few to control the disorganized masses. Um, <clears throat> and a number of studies looking, for example, at the Russian Revolution um, or the American Revolution um, reveal just how few people actually were involved at the center um, of, these, of, of, the, of these tremendous events in history. Um, but um, and they, they were able to exert a, a remarkably high leverage over the over, over the situation by influencing the masses. Um, it's also been described as reliant on common narratives or convenient fictions between the controllers and the controls. That's uh, that wonderful book by Ari Gaius, um, Homer Deus. Um, and of course, politics is a magnet for the sociopath as well as the idealist, um, but it's very difficult to sometimes work out which is which. Um, and uh, I did see one study at one point that, that's, um, that looks at the, uh, at, the, at the psychological profiles of all of the American presidents and concluded that pretty much every one of them was on the psychopathic spectrum. Now, I think that was, I, I take, that, take that with a, with a pinch of salt, um, but uh, perhaps, um, you know, it, it's certainly an interesting thought. I'm not gonna say any more than that. <clears throat> mental, in the terms of the mental models, it, there is, it does seem to be a difference in a couple of studies um, around uh, the way that people think. So entrepreneurs tend to be motivated by potential gains whereas politicians will tend to focus on avoiding damage or loss. And one of the questions that arises from that is, is our organization being led by an entrepreneur or by a politician? Um, uh, and, does that, and, and does that hold true, these, these two distinctions, do that, does that generally hold true for the kind of leader that an organization has? It's a good question, and I'm not proposing answers to that, merely asking questions. So the expediency challenge is, is it always wrong to take decisions based on short-term gains? Good question. Um, because the values we apply in the short term can be different from those that we apply in the longer term. 
Um, and the responsibility of the coach in this, in, in this area, how clearly defined is that? I can't find any significant guidance in any of the professional bodies, uh, um, um, competency frameworks and so forth, or their ethical frameworks that actually enables a coach to, to, to work through this particular dilemma. Um, uh, so uh, maybe we should just, just stop and get, get, get some comments on this one as well. Yeah, um, so the, the, there's an interesting question. Um, is expediency the same with efficacy? <laughs> mm. I, I think the connection the two may be dubious at best. Yeah. Well, maybe people who are trying to be expedient think that they are being very effective, perhaps. Mm. Uh, and another one which, which is up your street as well as uh, um, where you're from, um, there's a question on Jeremy Corbyn trying to manage his response to Brexit. Is it an example of political expediency? Yes, yes. Um, it's, called, it's been described as the moral vacuum. Um, <laughs> and um, uh, I think... Uh, uh, there comes a point when it, it becomes obvious to everyone that that's what somebody's doing. Uh, yes, so great, great example. Yeah, the, I mean, there's one other question. Does the coach have a responsibility in the expediency challenge? Yep. Actually, uh, before I, 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 I do think one of the wonderful comments about our politicians over Brexit was they, they were all running around stabbing each other in the front. Okay, any other comments there? No. Uh, no, at the moment, no. Yeah, okay. someone says expediency challenge is what we are facing with the COVID-19. Yes, yeah, yes, absolutely. Um, so some of the political dilemmas for politicians, um, people, as we've already said, appeals to people's fears and, and, and it's basically about the sense of powerlessness that people feel. When people feel that they can't control their own lives, they look for somebody who's strong to come in and do it for them. But of course, it's all a mirage. Um, if we're going to motivate people around positive aspirations, it's much, much harder. And it requires imagination, creativity, and a relative absence of fear. So a big challenge for leaders is about taking the fear away from people, giving them some justifiable certainty, and, 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 and enthusiasm, enthusing them with, with the potential of of, of what they could achieve. So giving them a, a very different narrative. And in, in research that I've been, I've been doing over the last few years into highest performing teams, that's the kind of mentality that the leaders of those high performing teams manage to generate. That they, they build more than just hope, they build, <clears throat> they build aspiration and, and belief that things can change. Um, and I don't think it's an, any, it really is any different in corporate politics um, um, the, that um, we, we, it is hard for us to motivate, harder to motivate people around positive aspirational things than it is to, to manage their fears. <clears throat> um, so some of the political dilemmas that have come up from our research are, when do you give people bad news? Um, do, you hang on, do, do you hang on to, the, to find the right moment? Um, it's, you know, it's a bit like telling, telling your girlfriend that you're, going, you're about to leave her. You know, do you tell it, do you do it over, uh, before dinner or after? It's, <clears throat> this is this kind of com complex um, decision. It's very painful for people to do. Um, if, you tell, if you give people too much complexity, too much information, they misunderstand it. If you oversimplify it, they misunderstand it as well. Um, 
I, I found this for my own cost when I was running a, 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 a chairing a, a business of my own. Um, and we shared all the financial data with all, with all the employees um, in, in great depth. Um, and they immediately panicked and thought we were going bust. And we said, no, no, we, we have enough to keep going for, for nearly a year if we didn't, you know, um, um, if we didn't, uh, if we didn't take any money in tomorrow. Um, but they couldn't understand, because they didn't understand the data, they, were, they, they, they panicked and we had to, it took, took a long time for us to, to recover um, their, their, uh, their trust and, and, their, uh, and their understanding. I think this statement, every executive appointment is a political appointment. It's made through considerations which are not just about what is the contribution this person can make. It's all about fit. It's about so many different things. Um, every coaching appointment is actually political in the sense that uh, one of the other studies we're doing at the moment is looking at the at coach's diversity of practice. And the, the chemistry meeting seems to, to be a very strong uh, vehicle for making sure that coaches end up coaching people like themselves. Um, and this is a big problem because we're not getting the challenge to our assumptions about coaching that we might otherwise, if we had a, had a clientele who were all significantly different to ourselves and would, and would really um, see things differently and challenge us. Um, there's a lot of work um, from uh, uh, now that, that shows that when people want to make change, they, they bide their time. They are political in the sense that they do watch for the best moment to bring a whole collection of people together to make change happen. Um, and patience seems to be a, a significant political virtue in the context of organizations, and it may well be in the context of uh, politics too. So let's, let's talk about some of the political dilemmas that you've encountered. So let's have some more chat. What have we got coming in, Ram? Yep. Um, I just want to ask uh, some questions specifically with uh, respect to the question that you've asked, uh, let you know what political dilemmas have you encountered with leaders? Um, I mean, my own experiences, <laughs> it's always a political dilemma, isn't it? It's with uh, more than one person, there is always uh, what you might call the politics, which is about uh, different points of view and how do you manage those different points of views and who do you encourage, who do you discourage? So everything blown up into a larger population becomes politics. When it's kept within the company, it might still be probably not so political, I guess. Uh, yes. I think it's interesting that people often, people from below tend to see more politics than people from above. Yep. Because they're affected by it all. Absolutely. Yeah, um, it, one of the questions that are coming up is, um, yeah, uh, the dilemmas, should I include others in decision making or offer clarity by making decisions myself? Mm, yeah. Leaders expect to work the system to move ahead. Yeah, so this is about personal rather than um, yeah. uh, or, or, or an organizational value. Yes, yes, benefit, yeah. And the political dilemma that I tend to coach on is ineffective communication skills. Another person says it relates to whose voice do you listen to? Yes, yes. So we, one of the exercises I, we, I often do with leaders is get them <coughs> to, to map their stakeholders 
um, and then map those stakeholders against the, 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 the power of the voice. Who, who do you listen to most? Um, and what does that mean for the ones who, who feel that they are not being listened to? Yeah. And I comment, I have faced challenges where the leader believed that uh, he was the best problem solver around big blind spot. And as an internal coach and consultant, I ran the risk of being fired over speaking truth to power. Absolutely. Yes. It's, um, it's not unusual for the, the, the biggest problem a team has to be, is, is to be its leader. Yeah. And as a coach, do we choose to say that? That's the moment of truth for us. So, uh, I mean, we may, not, we, we may not be as blunt as that, but um, uh, sometimes <clears throat> that's what's needed as a coach. I, I do have an example um, uh, um, of this a little while ago, um, and <clears throat> uh, I'll, I'll, I'll share it, um, but please excuse the, uh, the expletive in the middle. Uh, <clears throat> I, an, an executive on a, the chemistry meeting, the guy was clearly avoiding everything. He, it was, it was like he was just deflecting all the questions and it was clear he wasn't engaging with the process. And in, the, in some interviews I'd done beforehand, um, we talked to some of the team and it was quite clear this guy was a total bully. Um, and um, at times irrational, had rages and so forth. And so in the end, I asked him the question, to what extent does it worry or concern you that the people around you think you're a complete shit? If you'll pardon the French. Um, and the guy is, for the first moment, totally silent. And he thinks about it for nearly half a minute. And then he says, not a lot. <laughs> At which point, that was the point where it was clear that I wasn't going to be able to help him. Um, and uh, th th this, was not, this, was, this was a chemistry meeting that didn't really, that was a, a concluding but chemistry meeting. I think we encountered these situations a lot of the time. Um, and it, if we don't ask those really tough, blunt questions, we are colluding in the political maneuverings of that client. Yeah, there's a question that is uh, pretty related to uh, what you're saying just now. As a coach, do we also not get involved in organizational politics and or take sides, either of the client or the sponsor, at least sometimes? Yes. And I think that is the big danger, that we become simply an ally of one of the troops supporting that, that leader whose, whose objectives may not be co compatible with those of the organization or the team. Um, if the person is selfishly look, just looking out for their, uh, for their own advancement, is that really what we're there for as coaches? Uh, we, we've been do, doing some research recently looking at, um, <clears throat> at uh, the emphasis in organizations on individual development and individual reward um, versus team development and team reward. Um, and it's quite clear that in the modern world, we have to move away more and more from individual recognition, reward and, and so forth to, to, to collective. Um, so the, the responsibility of the coach is not just to the client, it's to the system that includes that client. That's a tough one to manage. Absolutely, David. I mean, just, just as an aside, um, a particular case that I'm involved in now in assignment is that uh, where the people who are inviting me to do a program, um, they have told me that 
I'll have a conversation with uh, the chief executive in a short while. And they say the person wants um, collaboration within the team. So as we were talking about it, very clearly what came up was that uh, the, the chief executive himself was not collaborative. It was very dictatorial and authoritative. So at some point in time, I had to ask these people, look, reading between the lines from what you're saying, you, you seem to be afraid. Please tell me whether you are or not. So the answer to that, I mean, it, it was so elegantly, so differently put at various points in time, but ultimately they said, yes, uh, but then this is what it is. So that, that is what organization mm -hmm. politics that we as coaches will have to tread sometimes, but uh, still you need to go there open-minded in terms of what is it that the pain point that you are helping them to resolve, isn't it? Yeah. And, and, and in those kind of contexts, where I always come back to what's the conversation that needs to happen between the team and the leader? Uh, to, to, and, and very often, we, 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 tend, we spend time avoiding difficult conversations. And as a coach, our, our role is actually to enable those difficult conversations to happen. That's how we bust through the negative politics um, and so forth. That, that's brilliant, David. I just add this bit, exactly what you said. So... Um, I suggested to them that I could have a constellation kind of uh, role play. Oh, yes. The CEO will come in the center and people will then stand in different positions and directions and distances. And they would then say, what's happening between them and the leader? But what happens now will certainly be very pleasant. So would your CEO be able to accept it? So there was absolute silence. So anyhow. Yes. It's, um, it's fascinating. We do have an exercise that we do that's quite fun <clears throat> where we've got a, a leader who wants to change. And of course, that's a big di difference or wants to, be, to be, want positive change to happen. So <clears throat> we get him to agree that we'll sit down with the team and get the team to identify what, what would the, the ideal leadership that they, that be like for, to, for them to perform at their best. Um, and of course, that could end in a win session. So the other half of the set of the exercise is for them to, let, to also to, uh, have to think about and how can we as a team support our leader in becoming the leader we need. Now we bring the leader back in and we, we facilitate a very different conversation to that, that would normally be there. Now we've got to prepare that leader and support that leader and they've got to be prepared to, to engage with the process. But when they are, the difference that it makes in the psychological safety and the performance of that team is enormous. So let's move on and look at a few other things. Um, this the idea of parliamentary um, uh, business business uh, government is, is one that's uh, an, an interesting one. It came from the the, uh, the great pioneer of semi-autonomous work groups, Einar Thorstrud in Norway, um, and he suggested that uh, like governments, um, all large corporations should have um, a, a a top team or a board in 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 um, in waiting. So, uh, and they would be paid to go around the world and, uh, and, and investigate and come back with their strategy, a different strategy to present to the shareholders every three years. Uh, <clears throat> nobody's ever done it to my knowledge, um, but it's an interesting idea um, that's, uh, that, that that's maybe, we, maybe we don't need to do precisely that, but the question comes, how do we actually get the level of challenge that we need inside <clears throat> at the senior levels of the organization to really get people to think differently? 
um, and to get out of that their normal group think. Um, uh, and so some of the mechanisms we've used are things like um, uh, sub, uh, um, uh, shadow boards, where you take young people from a bot from the lower levels of the organization, um, give them the same papers that the top team gets, um, and then you and, and then you they have a meeting a week ahead um, to consider those as if they were the real board or top team. Uh, and those meetings are always chaired by a, a member of the um, of, of the, the real top team. And they come to their conclusions and then a week later the main board meets or the main top team meets um, and one of these young people comes up and sits in that meeting and every now and then the the, uh, the chair the person chairing the meeting will say and what did the shadow team say uh, and they'll come up with something completely different um, it's a what it's, and, and and then they say well how did you come to that and what it does is to link the top of the organization to the thinking about what's really happening at the bottom of the organization and at the same time, it develops the strategic competence uh, and awareness of the people um, at, the, at the bottom. Um, it's a very positive um, mechanism. So some of the things that we found um, um, to compare, when we looked at great coaches and we looked at great leaders, I did a, a literature survey of, of dozens and dozens, well, hundreds actually in the end, of articles on, lead, on, on great leaders, on leadership qualities and, qualities and the qualities of coaches as well. And we found three things from the, from the paper connect, um, study. And then we found a fourth by actually presenting this to large audiences of coaches and leaders um, uh, and particularly leaders in, uh, in Africa. Um, so the first one is compassion. Um, <clears throat> how do you, you know, it's about having compassion for other people, um, really caring for, for them um, and, and having a passion both for the task, for the, the purpose of the organization, but also for the people in it and the beneficiaries of that organization. But at the same time, it's about having compassion for yourself. Um, and great coaches and great leaders are able to forgive themselves um, on a regular basis. And so, so what, what, can you, what can you forgive yourself to for today? And the curiosity, the ability to really be, to, to want to know how the world looks from other people's perspectives. What would happen if we experimented with this or the other? Or the other? I, I was just on a, on a, um, a call with, um, the, um, the training function of a, a, a large financial services organization. <clears throat> and we, they, basically they, they, they were saying their, their biggest problem is that people don't want to do things in a different way. They like doing things the way they've always done them. Um, there's, there's a lack of, 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 of willingness to even think that other, other or novel ways of doing things might be better. And then the courage, the courage to ask those difficult questions that I just illustrated a little while ago. You know, who actually tell, I love asking um, executives, who tells you when you're an idiot? Um, and most of the time, they, the most common answer is my spouse. Um, uh, but who in the organization tells you when you're an idiot? Um, and usually there's, or often there's nobody who would actually, actually really challenge what they say. Um, uh, there was a wonderful example in, uh, in the States some, time, some years ago, um, of an organization um, in the public sector where um, the, they had an annual uh, essay, um, a dissenting essay. So anybody in the organization could write this essay um, and it, would, it was about taking an aspect of policy um, or practice or values in the organization and, critic and critiquing it. Um, and the essay was, 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 um, was marked by, not by any of the executives, it was out by a, a, some appointed uh, people from outside. Um, 
uh, and the chief executive and the chairman had to give the prize to the person who who got who got the um, who who won, who won the essay, and it was about making an argument for seeing things differently. I think more and more organizations can do this kind of thing. And we as coaches actually come in, can sit there and we can help the team lead, the leaders that we're working with see things differently. We can help them deliberately seek out opposing views to their ideas. And connection, this came out from work in Africa. Um, and what people said there, yes, but if you're gonna be a great coach or a great leader, you also need connection. And when they would talk about connection, they were talking about the sense of Ubuntu, I am because quality of connection, I think, has such a lot of value. We see so much, so many of the, um, uh, the problems, the unethical behaviors in organization relating to people just not being connected well enough to the societies and the stakeholders they serve. So moving on quickly, um, we, what we actually found in a large, in a study of uh, the highest, the, the leaders of the highest performing teams in one of the world's um, top type fine, um, techno technology companies. Um, they don't feel the need to control. They recognize that trying to manage a, a, a large group of people isn't, isn't, isn't basically, isn't possible. So they support people in managing themselves. Uh, they don't want to know about everything that's going on, only what's critical. They protect the team from distractions from outside. Um, they make sure that everybody understands the goals and they welcome feedback from the team members because they feel secure enough to take it. And they are role models for development for themselves and other people. And this is this thing about caring again comes back. They care about the team goals, but they care about each one of the team members. They make a lot of time for human interaction. And I love this phrase. They're aware that they too are a work in prog progress and they're fully comfortable with that perception. We have this phrase in, in, uh, in, 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 in English uh, that, that somebody calls themselves a self-made man. Um, uh, it's always a self-made man, never a self-made woman, I, I, I note, note. But uh, the self-made man, of course, the, the answer is yes, well, you didn't do much of a job of it, did you? Um, uh, which is perhaps not the best response to them. So how can you avoid uh, this minefield? Um, how can you avoid colluding with expedient, politically unethical behavior in your clients? Um, should you be the seconder in supporting a corporate client in a political battle? Um, uh, it's, it's not so clear. Suppose, it, it, you know, suppose it's so easy to make moral judgments about their, their rivals in the organization, just to see them through the eyes of the client rather than through other people's eyes. Um, uh, the one exception that I can think of is when the other person in the, uh, in, in, in the, in the, in the picture um, is a sociopath, but who are you to judge whether the other person is genuinely a sociopath, or is this something that's just being, that's um, uh, an interpretation of, of issues? Um, <clears throat> and how would you feel about coaching a leader whose views you really disagreed with? You know, what about the internal conflicts for you? For you? Um, very difficult to, 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 be very, to be clear on these, these issues. And then if we, uh, well, we, we, we're pretty much, um, getting towards the end now, but if we have about three two thirds away, do you have any particular views that we want to to, to come in now, just as, as uh, uh, before we go any further? There aren't um, too many specific questions as such. Uh, I'm just going through that. Um, okay. Just I, I, I can go on and we can have them at the end. Yeah, 
I just a comment that I had, uh, David, maybe at some point in time before the end, you might like to look at. When you talked about this uh, opposition um, team, as it were, the shadow and so on, um, in Germany, uh, at least at least one country I know, where they have usually what is called the supervision board as well as the main board. And yeah. sometimes uh, they, they tend to work in such a way that each provides, the, the supervision board uh, provides that kind of a shadow. And also that uh, in many of the supervision boards, you have union representatives. So yes. actually a different perspective is presented. That's the only country where I know that the system works. Uh, maybe that, that, that's something in answer to what you said. Yeah, um, I, 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 when they, when they, were, when they first introduced these supervisory boards with the, with the trade unions in, um, I went. I was a young journalist at the time, and I went around and visited a load of them. Um, and the biggest issue that we found is that the that the the, the worker representatives became went native very quickly. They got used to all the privileges of being of being at the top and having a large office and everything else. And they and they no longer really represented the views of the people below. Uh, and this was a big problem. Um, uh, and I think it still is, um, uh, but that's there's a lot, lot more we could say. But, you know, if you put people in a politicized environment, they become political themselves if you're not if they're not careful. Absolutely, uh, which is there's part of the problem. Uh, you might like to look at uh, before I one or later. Um, how does one coach a person whose views we do not agree with? Is there an answer at all? <clears throat> I think. You, you have to be able to separate yourself from um, the from your job. Well, firstly, not to be judgmental on that on that person. Um, but the critical issue becomes: what is the impact supporting that person to in what they do? Um, so, for example, um, one of the conversations we've had a number of times with coaches is: should you work with a tobacco company? Um, on the one hand, you have the value that um, you that, uh, or many people have the value that this is killing people, um, and that um, we should therefore um, not have anything to do anything to do with promoting uh, that the, the, um, the, 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 the tobacco company. On the other hand, we've there we're there to support people, um, and like a doctor, we can't. Um, it's not appropriate for us to refuse treatment to, to, to somebody or somebody. So how do we make how do we steer between these these uh, these very difficult uh, rocks? Um, uh, and the answer for most coaches is if it's going to be promoting the product, I cannot get involved with it. If it's going to be if it's going to be to help the person grow and become more human um, uh, and become a more a, a more ho a whole human being. Um, then, I, then that's appropriate, and that's part of my role as a coach. So it's finding the distinctions. Now, you might say you may some some people out there will, um, listening now will will say that's a good distinction. Other people say no, 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 I don't agree with that. So we have to make a personal choice around these things, and it isn't easy. So I think there's a difference between being political um, and being um, and being politically aware or politically adept. Uh, <clears throat> leaders need political awareness in order to get things done. But what they need to do is at the same time act with integrity. So we talk about thinking politically, acting with integrity. And I think that's quite a, a useful way of describing it. And then this, this wonderful quote here, which I, I, I actually popped in late because uh, I, I liked it. 
organizational politics are informal, unofficial, and sometimes behind the scenes efforts to sell ideas, influence an organization, increase power, or achieve other targeted objectives. Neither good or bad, the two conditions that determine whether those politics become constructive or destructive depend on whether the targeted objectives are for the company's interest or only for self-interest, and whether the influence efforts used to achieve those objectives have integrity or not. And this, 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 goes, this aligns very well with research that we did into leadership qualities some years ago, where we, where we found and, and, and who is talented in an organization. And one of the big distinctions that we were able to make around leadership talent was whether the person was ambitious for a cause or whether the person was ambitious for themselves. Um, and the, the, the latter tended out to have, to, tended to be less talented um, in real terms than the former. Um, so some, some fascinating ways of thinking about it. Some of the things that make, <coughs> that, that are helpful in corporations in political awareness, there's a whole list here. What can we do with our current resources and in the current climate? What rules do we have to adhere to strictly and what, which ones can we work around and in what circumstances? What are our prevailing attitudes and myths? How do we make decisions formally and informally? Um, what kind of experience have the greatest credibility uh, in terms of being listened to um, and, in, and, and in helping people, looking at people as being promotable? Um, which networks within the organization have, most, have the most influence and the least? Um, what behaviors attract positive and negative comment? How does the organization react to and deal with mistakes? A common one, do, we, do people get jumped on for making mistakes or is it treated as a learning experience? What are the issues that top management doesn't like to talk about? Um, how do you gain access to decision makers and budget, budget holders? Is that access limited to people who are privileged or, 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 can, or does anybody have access to them? Um, so also I think it's worth reviewing, how does a leader connect or reconnect with their, their authentic self? And these are some of the things that, is co that coaches can do. Get them to talk about how they describe their personal values, or this is you as a coach, rather. Um, firstly, starting with your values, your personal values, and how they contribute to your identity as a coach. Um, and then for both the coach and the leader, when do I most live up to my values and my aspired identity? When do I least live up to those values and my aspired identity? And how do I calibrate how authentic I'm being? These are powerful questions for both coaches and leaders. And then, if you want to develop authenticity, well, here's some things to do. Get a clearer understanding of yourself. Who are you? What is your evolving life story? Who's the person that you aspire to become? Um, trying to be yourself, trying to be congruent as pos possible with each of those, uh, the, those elements of yourself that you value. Um, how did I, I just ask the question, how did I live up to my values today? Um, and then have, being honest in the way we manage ourselves. So, recognizing when we don't live up to our, our ideal self. Everybody's got a built-in moral equilibrium, which, which, focus, which, which, which allows us to sort of control um, how good we feel about ourselves. And we all like to feel that we're a good person. 80% of prisoners in jail think they're more ethical than average. So we, we all can convince ourselves that we're all being authentic and, 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 uh, and honest, even when we're not. So reflecting on what causes you to behave more or less like your, your ideal self. What are the triggers for you? Um, listening to other people, how they see you and your behavior. Um, 
And this last one, again, the compassion, being appropriately forgiving of yourself because nobody's ever lives up to their, to their ideal of, of, of their ideal self. So if we're gonna manage politics, here's a couple of slides full of questions that'll be useful that we can use in, as coaches. Who are the key players in the situation? What are their overt and covert motivations? What will make, you, make them consider you or your team as a key part of their strategy? What resources and skills do you have that they'll find useful in achieving their objectives? What have you done or what could you do to make them aware of you or, or your team as a politically strategic resource? What are the core values that you really need to uphold regardless of pressures from others? How can you establish boundaries around those values without creating enemies? What resources do you have and what can you do to get advance warning of politically motivated change? And a few more to round off with. <clears throat> what resources can you muster to block damaging politically motivated change? When will be the best time to have those resources in place and when will be too late? How much is in, in credit is your favor bank? How clear are you about the intent or purpose of your boss, your boss's boss? key colleagues who are working with it with you. How can you ensure that you're aware of the undercurrents in the organization, the unofficial conversations and, and, and shifts in thinking? What principles will you not let go of? And who are your champions and supporters and how are you keeping them motivated to support you? These are all political questions, but they are also, I believe, questions which are appropriate for an authentic leader to ask on a regular basis. So over to you, let's see what you think and feel. Yeah, um, a couple of uh, questions out here and also a general comment when you talked about various things that we need to look at ourselves, being honest with ourselves and so on. Uh, much of it, uh, you are one of the founders of EMCC, so understanding self is a core competency that EMCC Indeed. Defined, which now ICF um, has introduced as the coaching mindset as a second uh, competency in the new format and I think yeah. it makes a huge difference and like somebody pointed out uh, the importance of supervision uh, the reflective uh, element of supervision and absolutely so a lot of systemic uh, approach in terms of when we are working with organization the best way to manage that is to take a much larger systemic view along with incorporation of in the stand understanding self and uh, as well as uh, uh, supervision so one of the questions uh, that you might like to uh, look at is, uh, is about, can you elaborate on political thinking is one. Another person has asked, um, uh, da, 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 da. There, there was, please elaborate on being appropriately forgiving, forgiving of yourself. These are <laughs> two questions specifically being asked. Okay, well, let, let's start with the last one, the being appropriately forgiving of yourself. I think we all tend to listen to our internal critic a lot more than we really need to. Um, that inner voice that tells us how useful or how bad we are. Um, and if we listen to it too much, it can stop us facing up, stop us do, acting. And, and also it, it can have the negative effect that we don't believe we can bring about changing ourselves or other people. Because if we can't change ourselves, how can we change other, help other people to change? Um, and one of the things that we do, uh, I, I like to do with people that I'm coaching, is uh, bring out bring out that negative self, the the, the critical friend, as, as, as sorry, as, as if they were a critical friend rather than they're just an inner critic. 
to treat them as a friend to personify them so that we get give them a name i call mine percy um we put them we put a pillow in it or something a push in a chair uh, opposite us and we we address them as if they were a real person and we have a conversation with them about issues um, and very often those issues are about you know how do, how, how do i remain authentic for example and we listen to what our negative self, a critical self has, has got to say. And then at the end, we make a point of thanking them. And that thanking them is really important. Um, so thank you very much, I've listened to that, but actually I don't think I'm gonna go along with your advice, I'm going to do X or Y. And it's about, and it's about managing and using our critical friend as a discussion partner, but not as, as, as somebody who, who directs um, our behavior. And the other question was about um, political thinking. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, we don't, we can't really define political thinking in any way that, that covers all the situations that we, that we meet. Um, the easiest way that I can come to it is political thinking is recognizing that every decision has a, uh, in an organization, has some elements of political um, political thinking within it. So we are making choices based upon um, relationships, for example. We when we choose a su one supplier over another, if they've got e equal products um, and equal, equal pricing, we go with the, with the, with the, cl with the client that we know more, um, uh, most likely, or that we like most, or who's related to us, or, or whatever. But, we have, but there are factors that come into it which are, which are not simply about a clear, decision on, on, on the facts, whatever the facts are. And we even managed to distort the facts too. So I think having clear ideas about how we make decisions and what values we want to apply, it, the more that we do that, the, the, the less politic, negatively political we're going to be. Uh, David, uh, just a question on that. Generally, for most people, um, if, if uh, on the on the one hand, if an organization can be transparent, open, mm. equal, democratic, circular, all that kind of a stuff. And people usually associate being political as being in opposition to that. In my experience, that's not necessarily true. An organization can be very open, transparent, democratic, all that, invite feedback, but it's still, in terms of internal behavior, there is always some undercurrents of politics if, if it were absolutely i don't think we, can, we can't escape politics i mean a, a, a practical example um we've been making quite a lot of noise over, over recent uh, over recent months about the the the, the new global team coaching institute that, we, that uh, peter hawkins and i are, are, are co-launching with wbex and um we've uh, in in that in the development of the, the 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 planning the strategy for all of this we've had to look at the at the, at the faculty for this um and when we want to put, bring in experts in team coaching, we can always, pretty much everybody that we, that's, that's an expert in team coaching fits a mold. They tend to be um, um, Anglo-Saxon Anglo -Saxon, um, and um, gender-wise, it's, it's a reasonable mix, but you know, they come from a particular cultural mode. Now, uh, so as a, as, a, as, a, as a core value within the, the, the organization, we have, therefore adopted the principle that we will within the within a, a, a limited period with the, of, 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 of the organization's life completely reverse the diversity we, we want to make it a totally um, 
diverse organization with people from, from all sorts of cultures. And I think that is a political decision. We're doing it, 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 it it's a value that, we've, that we have uh, adopted, that we see is, is, is important, uh, that we all believe in. And, and, but we've made a political decision to, to, to prioritize the development of non-white non faculty. And I think that's, that's, that, that for me, it feels very, very comfortable with that, but it is a political decision. It's very interesting, David. Now I understand why they reached out to me. I have a different <laughs> color. <laughs> I think you. I think you've done a lot more. Lot more to justify the, the, than that, Ram. Uh, you've put together this wonderful network and, and uh, of, of people, uh, and uh, made your mark on the profession um, brilliantly. Have a couple of minutes, um, uh, David. Probably another three minutes before we close. I mean, is there like a, a brief case study or something that would probably illustrate very well, like we are saying? One is, of course, like this WBEX, but even in companies that you have worked with, where um, politics perhaps was used for a good purpose. That's a, a, a good question. Um, <clears throat> Perhaps something a little bit more complicated than that. I think perhaps to illustrate the complexity of a political dilemma. Um, if we go back quite a few years now to the times of apartheid in South Africa and Barclays Bank um, being put under a lot of pressure to close down in all its branches in the, in the country. And Banks don't tend to have a great reputation for, mo for, for, for making good moral judgments. Um, and Barclays got a lot of, lot of um, flack for not closing its branches down for quite some time until they were forced to in the end. Um, but in the conversations that I had with, the, with, with leaders of, of the bank at that time, I was deeply impressed by the moral argument that they were making for, 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 for staying open, uh, for staying in the country. And what they said was something along the line that th these lines, they said, look, you know, we employ so many 20,000 people in the country. I don't know what the figure was. Every one of those people is on average is the breadwinner um, for 20 other people. So we're gonna put, if we, if we actually put all those people out of work, we will be pushing 400,000 people into poverty. Well, I don't, the figures are not right, but the, the, the principle is there. Um, we do not believe that um, we can that it's going that's, uh, that, that that's doing that is a, is a, is a, is an appropriate, humane, um, and um, and moral action. Now, that's that's and, and this was not just flimflam. This this was this was a real a real feeling amongst the people the um, the, the, the people um, in the executive um, making those decisions at that time. Now, whether or not one, not one agreed with that stance, and clearly lots of people did not, the fact that it had been thought through with great, that, that such a difficult decision had been thought, thought through and argued through um, with consultation with all sorts of people who would have an opinion about it, um, uh, meant that that seems to me to be a great example of poli positive politics at work in an organization. Now, as I say, we don't necessarily have to agree with the decision an organization makes, 
but the fact that they have been authentically weighing up competing values and coming down with a decision based upon a moral choice. I think that's what we need to see a lot more of in organizations, um, but we don't see a lot of it. Thank you. We are pretty much on the mountain. Thank you so okay. much. Yeah, hi, David. <laughs> I'm back. Okay, can, I, can I have a request to, to, the, to people? Yeah. In the, if anybody wants to, we, we, we're doing this book. We, if anybody would like to help us in our research for this, sharing their, their ethical dilemmas as case studies or, what, or whatever, uh, or, or what they've experienced, or their political dilemmas rather, um, then um, please do contact us and, and um, uh, we'd, uh, we'd love to be able to, uh, uh, to incorporate as many uh, people in, into our research as possible. Um, I will actually post a link to the recording of this session and your slides on our blog later today. So I'll also include um, the details to contact you um, on our blog so everyone can have an access yeah. to it. But um, yeah, for now, so I've, I started, uh, I put the password for everyone in the chat, but I first want to thank David for this session. I mean, it's so thought provoking and it's not what I thought it was going to be. And I saw the slides early. And um, for me, what was coming up a lot was just ghosts of companies past and um, CEOs that I've worked with and um, the company values that the different um, employers that have stayed with me. And um, it's, yeah, it's super interesting how politics kind of influences the world around us. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> But the, so thank you so much, David. The password I, or password, the answer that you need to put in if you want to claim your CCEUs is Wonder Women Wednesdays. And the reason why I picked that as a password, and David, please um, give me some feedback on this. But as of next Wednesday, we're starting another new program at Kocharia, a virtual one like this. It'll be on YouTube Live, where I will be interviewing wonderful women from around the world. Fantastic. To understand what they're doing, who they are, how they are making an impact um, in positive, meaningful ways. So um, there's no CCEUs. Hey, I, I just have a question. Uh, aren't, all women, aren't all women wonderful? They are, which is why we're going to have a whole <laughs> bunch of women from around the world. You're, you're being very political, David. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, he's being factual and accurate. <laughs> you can debate if you want. All women yeah. are wonderful. Nice tribe. Um, <laughs> but yeah, please, uh, David, if you have any women that you think would be cool to interview, this we'll, will be I'll happily introduce you to some. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Great. This will be a weekly series, um, probably like half an hour, pretty informal, with um, me asking questions. So please join us for that. There will be information on our blog. I will email everyone, but it'll be on Wednesdays most likely um, 9 a.m. is Chicago time, which is 7-ish um, p.m.-ish, lots of ishes in India. And I really hope to see many of you there so we can celebrate the wonderful women in our networks together. But for now, that's your password for CCEU. David, thank you so much. Um, and I forgot to say, David will be doing um, a virtual program with us starting <clears throat> In, I want to say June 30th, but we're confirming the dates and I will again email everyone to announce that. But um, if you love this session, and I know you did, you can get even more of David and learn even more.
Michael, just a question. Can men come cross-dressed to the Wonder Women program? <laughs> you can come. Cross-dressing is optional. You can come as a man. You can come as a woman. You can come as you are. That's the whole point. Right. Thank you. Thanks, David. Thank you very much indeed for being there. <laughs> Wonderful. We look forward to seeing you uh, in the webinar soon in the next few months. Thank you. Thanks, Magda. Thanks. Wonderful. Thanks, everyone. Excellent. Bye then. Bye then. Bye. Bye. Take care.